Sunday night edition of the Crash the Pond podcast. Folks, it's a kind of a sad day, a happy day. I don't know I don't know Bit, where your your emotions are. It's bittersweet. It's bittersweet, you know. I mean, I I think for a lot of Ducks fans out there, this is going to be a bit of a I think bittersweet's the best way to put it because we started to see some strides taken as they finally put Trevor Zegers in his proper position and let him play and you started to see uh the benefits from that and how much fun it could be but i think for also ducks fans out there there's a little bit of the light at the end of the tunnel with the season being over now the ducks are officially locked into the second worst position uh in the league which means the second best uh draft odds and which here's the critical aspect of that they will have either the first second third or fourth pick that is where they will end up they cannot be in any other spot outside of that and so the Ducks are going to end up getting a good player. And so if you want the kind of sweet aspect of it, it's the fact that uh, the Ducks are going to now be locked into having a good player coming into the, the system and potentially onto the team next year. Um, and, and so overall, it, it's it's sad that the season's over. Obviously, it was not the best season ever. It was actually, uh, looking at the numbers, it was the worst season in Ducks franchise history from a points percentage uh, aspect. So that's fun. That, that's a fun little note for everyone out there. But there are there is a little bit of a, a light at the end of the tunnel that we started to see at the end of the season. Yeah. So what, what we're going to do on this show, and as Jake just kind of showed, we're we're chomping at the bit to talk about the season to try to try to unpack it all. As Jake's cat Salem is just climbing uh, climbing through the window over there. <laughs> yep. No one else can see it but you. That part of the camera is cut off. Yeah. I get the uh, I get the secret feed here, the in arena feed. No, but so with the season being over, you know, it's obviously still very fresh. Uh, I mean, the the last game of the season was last night, Ducks losing in overtime. I don't think we're going to do the usual like game recaps from the week, but we're just going to look back on the season, a season in review, try to figure out what went wrong, where we went wrong uh, in our evaluation, kind of look at the positives to take away the things that need to change, they need to improve drastically. We don't have a huge structure for this, but I think we're going to, we're going to give it a shot. I think we I think this has been kind of bubbling and, up for a while now. And I think a lot of people have their own questions for that they want answered for yes. this season. And so I think that this is going to kind of be us uh, us looking back on the season kind of in, in a little bit of a fresh manner. Um the season obviously just ended, so there's a lot of things kind of that you and I haven't necessarily been able to do our deep dive that we sometimes do after the year. And so it's going to kind of be our fresh uh fresh thoughts on the year what's yeah, it, happened. It, Exactly. This is going to be like our our instant, almost instant reaction, just right, yeah. like kind of kind of raw, maybe even a little unfiltered. And, and, and so to kind of refresh everyone's memories out there, and so we'll get into questions and have a lot of kind of that coming. So if you're in the Twitch chat, uh, we will get to you, and we'll probably try to do a lot of the the show for that. But for for those of you out there listening to this, if you're new listening or anything like that, kind of where both of us had this Ducks team to start the year to refresh everyone's memory is that you and I both kind of predicted that this team would finish fifth in the division. That yeah, was kind of where we saw saw them at. We expected them to probably be better than the Sharks, than the Kings, than the Coyotes, um, and, and finish fifth ahead of those three teams. And obviously, as you all know now, that did not happen. So I think kind of going into where we went wrong there would be a, a good idea. So if you want to start there. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm just throwing at you. I'm throwing you <laughs> under the bus completely right now. I love Although that you I, I have I a love- good answer also for it. I can get into mine if you want. 
I just love that you said if you want, as if there's actually a choice that I can make here of you, not you, doing yeah, it. Yeah, you don't get a choice. Yeah, well, no, but I, I, I think that's a healthy place to start because when if we rewind to back in January, December, when we knew what the season was going to look like, the divisions, we knew that this team hadn't played in a year. It was looking like, okay, look at the roster, see what, see what the pieces they have are. We knew that they added Kevin Shattenkirk. We figured that there would be some internal improvement from the youngsters. We, we thought, hey, year two of Dallas Akins, maybe the, the systems that he's looking to implement will be more set in stone. We also thought, hey, John Gibson coming off a difficult year, but assuming that he just bounces back mildly, he should be a positive for this team. We were, I mean, I was also high on them bringing back Ryan Miller. I thought that that was a good idea as their backup goaltender. So that was the starting point is that, hey, this team is probably not going to be an elite team. No one was saying that, but but there was at least some optimism that they could be a team that that hung around until until the last you know few weeks of the season. And I think fifth, fifth, and you know we even talked about them maybe finishing sixth, but it felt like that was a reasonable range. I don't think that we ne- neither of us were high enough on them to really say confidently that they would be in the playoff picture, that they would be fourth. But a team that could maybe put up a fight felt like it, it felt like the logical place. Maybe we were too optimistic though. And one thing I want just to tutor our own tor- our, our own horns, we did have the wild, both of us finished finishing third in the division. So I'm pretty happy with that one. Yeah. But but <laughs> yeah. So uh, to kind of jump in, I, I think that the the big miss from both you and I on, on this season, kind of coming into it, was John Gibson. I think yeah. you and I both expected John Gibson to have a bounce back year after last year, putting up a 904 save percentage. Um, his GSAX was also below par. I think he was, uh, it was his worst uh, GSAX season. And I'll get the numbers for you in one second, but his worst GSAX season um, over the course of his career. And so I think that um, kind of having that bad season, the fact that he had nearly 10 months off, the fact that he was going to be well-rested coming into the season, that basically it was all setting up for John Gibson to have a bit of a monster season. And the thing is, it started out that way. And it started out with him being really hot. And then kind of basically after that first month of the season, it kind of really took a turn for the worse. And he really started falling off. And I think that's honestly the biggest miss because I think both you and I didn't expect this Ducks team to... um, to necessarily blow the doors off of teams to be this high event uh, hockey that uh, they control play, they control expected goals. But if they could be middle of the pack in terms of expected goals and have John Gibson uh, behind them uh, as, as a bit of a wall, kind of going back to where he was about two seasons ago where he had a 26.9 GSAX season, um, they could be in decent shape. And I mean, he had a negative 4.81 GSAX in 35 games a season, 903 save percentage. And so... I think the fact that they got not only replacement level, but sub replacement level goaltending from both him and Ryan Miller throughout the course of the season. I think that is the, the biggest thing uh, or the biggest thing to point to or the easiest thing to point to as to, to where things went wrong, where things started going wrong. And that was basically right after that first month of the season. Yeah. With, with John Gibson, I think one thing that's important to know is that like you said, it felt like these were all the right circumstances for him to perform well because we had always harped on in the past of, you know, he doesn't get to rest enough. He doesn't get to uh, have enough time between starts. The Ducks have not really tapped into their backup goalie enough. And so with all those months off, it felt like this was going to be a perfect storm for him. And instead, it was kind of the opposite, maybe the compressed schedule. I will say, though, that you did bring up his his goal save, though, expected, and he finished the season at minus uh, 
four point eight one. Mm-hmm. And that's actually a big improvement from where he was a few weeks ago. Like he actually did yeah. play he did play better down the stretch. He had one so the way it started is he as everyone knew, he had the the, the fantastic start, that series against Vegas where he was just standing on his head and then just this massive valley where he, he was just he was bad. I mean, I don't there's I don't no know. other way to put it. And, you know, I'm not this isn't a commentary on chicken or the egg. Is it the team or is it the, you know, how he's been used or this the, the status of the franchise? This is just an objective assessment that he was not good. He was not he would not only was he not the John Gibson of the, that we had come to know in the past, he wasn't even like you said a replacement level goalie. So, given how poor of goaltending the Ducks got for the grand majority of the season, even if they had had the improvements that we thought they were going to get from other parts of the roster, that severely undercuts a lot of what you can do when you're not getting the saves. And again, I don't want people to take this as we're pinning all of this on, on John Gibson or goaltending. It's just the first thing we're bringing up, but there, trust me, there's a lot more here, but this is one of the components that we probably overestimated. Maybe we didn't even know it but but regardless, it, it did not come through for this team. Yep. And then I, I think the other kind of, big aspect outside of of goaltending where things kind of went wrong is the optimization of the lineup and I think this is a thing that you and I have harped on a lot this season it was how Dallas Akins and I think that this goes to kind of the other thing that you and I expected that maybe Dallas Akins with the second year with the team would would get his foothold with the team maybe Lash was more of a, a small or small sample size, maybe first season with the team, a lot of things there. Uh, second season, he's had a full off season to, to really put together his coaching plan, put together his plan of attack for the team. And he really kind of put the team behind the eight ball for most of the season um, by, by consistently rolling out lineups that were suboptimal by refusing to play David Backus and instead playing Derek Grant. And who knows if maybe his hands were tied, but we can only really assess uh, the coaching staff for the decisions that were made and the lineups that were put out there. And at the end of the day, lineup the lineups that were put out there on most nights were suboptimal. You had Jamie Drysdale playing on his offside, which clearly did not work for essentially half of the games that Jamie Drysdale played in. Well, and also that was after the season had already been decided. Like there were, I, True. Think, I think the things to point to are in the beginning of the year. That's fair. Like, for example, right off the bat, Isaac Lindstrom on the wing with Ryan Getzlaff. Scratching Troy Terry. Troy Scratch. Terry, who became the uh, fifth leading point getter for the for the team this season. Scratching Adam Henrique at one point in time when, at the end of the day, no matter what you want to say about Adam Henrique and uh, all the he, different he's, things. He's, he's still one of your best options in the team. And, and regardless of, you know, because a lot of people will push back and say, well, you know, he's one of the veterans he's getting paid a lot and you gotta you gotta put up some accountability for lack of lack of performance and it's like sure that's that's well and good but this team with very few options down the yeah. middle quality nhl options you know there's some up-and-coming talent but you can't he, you, you can't just dive into that narrative street and and wave guys scratch guys just because of things like that if you want to enforce accountability do it in other ways, but you are not a team that has the luxury of, of playing around like that. And, and if you wanted to do that, like look at maybe scratching Derek Grant. Well, How that's about the, that? Well, well, that's the thing. And and I think that to me, Derek Grant and people give us a lot of crap for hating on Derek Grant, but he was look, bad. He was bad. Like we expected. We have nothing against him as the person or how he mm-hmm. is as a teammate. It's just a simple fact that when he's on the ice, that I mean, you can go down the list. Ducks get outshot, outchanced expect the goals go against them, get outscored. 
And so there's just no case, there's no objective case to make for Derek Grant as a as the as the kind of player that Dallas Aikens views him as because the amount of minutes that not only Derek Grant played, but that he was taking away from players that were better than him, that was a huge issue when that when the season was still kind of hanging in the balance when they when they still maybe had an opportunity to make the play. So just for funsies, I'm I'm looking at the uh, expected or the evolving hockey uh, kind of totals for for the entire Ducks team this year, and looking at the the forwards, excluding Vinny Letary, who only played in five games, uh, Nick Deloria and Derek Grant had the lowest expected goals for percentage uh, on the team the entire year, with Derek Grant having the worst at 38.63 expected goals for percentage, Nick Deloria at 40.46. So. Basically, right where they left off last year of being just black holes for the team in terms of expected goals for percentage, that that's where they were yet again for this team. And it's not as if this is shocking. I mean, Derek Grant, uh, let me just very quickly, for, for anyone that thinks that he is this uh, defensive stalwart for the Ducks, that he when he's on the ice, basically the Ducks uh, limit all of these chances against. Once again, looking at all of the Ducks forwards from this year, excluding Vinny Letary, he allowed the most expected goals against per 60 minutes of ice time out of any forward for the Ducks and and didn't make up for it by at least generating expected goals for. So, like, this isn't a situation where you could maybe say, okay, is it 30% expected goals for, but he is at least limiting chances against and just not getting anything for yeah, it like, all. There's not, like, that one component that you can point to. Yeah, exactly. Like, he he's bad. He's been bad, and the Ducks signed him to a three-year deal. And, and it's yes. just, it, it was a bad decision. Um, but getting back to kind of where we were wrong, the other thing is, I looking at some of the numbers, Sonny Milano getting hurt uh, and missing majority of the season, only playing in six games, I think in the grand scheme of things, that did hurt the Ducks' outlook. And now, granted, who knows if Dallas Akins would have ended up playing Sonny Milano because as we kind of are still well, in this yeah, discussion. To, to start the year, he wasn't in the lineup. Yeah, so to continue this discussion about... Uh, uh, Dallas Akins, he was scratching Troy Terry. He was scratching Sonny Milano, but looking at Sonny Milano's numbers in his small sample size, uh, his expected goals for percentage was the best in the entire franchise. Yeah, and, um, and also just when he was on the ice, it, he was visibly one, uh, uh, you know, a player who was going to contribute just the speed, the offensive game that he brought. It's just not something that this team had a lot of. And so that's why, you know, when they weren't playing him, it just, it felt so baffling because of what he can bring and what, yeah. they, and what they don't have. Yeah, and and kind of on that same note, I guess as we're we're now kind of discussing a little bit about the injuries, how much do you play into the play into this Lindholm's injury? So that is that is a narrative that I think the Ducks have really been kind of hyping, not hyping up, but it feels like they've been it's been, it's been pushed heavily from both from both both the um, uh, broadcast from whenever Bob Murray speaks, whenever Dallas Aiken speaks, they lament the, the amount of injuries that have been happening. Yeah, they've they've really especially fallen back on the fact that they haven't had many games with Fowler, Lindholm, and Manson. And while that may be true, that that didn't... I mean, look, no one's arguing that that, that helped. Like, of course, losing Hampus Lindholm with the way this, this blue line is constructed does not help your chances. Um, but it feels like losing one guy you know, should not have been a death knell. And then Josh Manson missed a bunch of games. Now, the reasons why he missed those games, I mean, getting hurt while fighting. Both time, both two, two of them, two of his injuries came from that. It's, it's not what you love to see. And so, but that being said, it feels like they had enough defensive depth to not be this elite, you know, defensive uh, group, but at least have like a level of competency. I mean, with Cam Fowler back there with Kevin Shattenkirk, 
it felt like they could at least cobble something together. But instead, you know, Dallas Akins really fell back on the likes of Jacob Larson, Yanni Hockenpah getting really elevated, probably to a place he shouldn't have been. And I think Hockenpah probably acquitted himself well for what he was being asked to do. But overall, I think that there was a way around that. I think they probably should have played Josh Mahura more, for example. Like I, Cody Curran, I mean, just jo- ne- Cody Curran never even yeah. got a sniff. And so jo- Josh Manson wasn't necessarily good either when he played. So that that and, also kind of defunct like defuncts that narrative of not well, having all three of those guys. Well, exactly, and and that's one thing that I that I wanted to get to, and I'm glad you brought that up. Is that even if these guys were healthy realistically, only two of those three were any good when they did play. I mean, Hampus Lindholm was great in the games that he did play. Yep. Cam Fowler is... Ha- this Cam- this Cam- may have been Cam Fowler's best season of his career. Cam Fowler may be turning into an underrated player in my yeah. eyes. <laughs> I think he's... Not, a, he's not maybe, he is. I think he's underappreciated by some corners of the fan base or yeah. even just nationally, Yeah, um, which is funny because I feel like at certain points he was overrated. He was, he was way overrated, and now... I mean, here's the thing. The The issue with Cam Fowler is that he's not a guy that is has put up the points this year. I mean, granted, he was third on the team in points with 23 but points I, in 56 but I, games. I just, I just wanted to say he was good. Those, yeah. him, him and Lindholm were good, but um, uh, Manson was just... If you look at all his stats, and even if you watched him play, like he, he struggled out there this year. He took a lot of penalties, and I feel like that's something that he doesn't get. You know, it's not that I want him to get berated, but there are players on this team or in the past who have gotten kind of that, that tag of being a a guy who takes a lot of penalties and Josh Manson that he never seems to get that kind of flack, you know, and for example, Kevin Shattenkrieg this year took a lot of penalties, deservedly got uh, a lot of pushback on that, you know, people really panning him, but Josh Manson, I mean, wasn't a saint in that regard. And it just seems like he kind of gets off scot-free. So he just didn't have a great season. He was very porous defensively. And so to me that it just so saying, oh, well, if only we had had I mean, Dallas Akins even said if we had had all three of those guys, if we had had a healthy lineup for more of the season, we would be in a much different place. Like we're not just we're not just kind of, you know, saying this stuff like just to guessing what these people are thinking. Dallas Akins has actually verbalized this. I mean, here's the thing. If, if they would have had Hampus Lutom, I, I think undoubtedly you can say, yes, they probably would have had, had a better win. chance, but like, they would have had more wins, but where do they finish? Instead of finishing eighth in the division, they finish four, seventh, sixth, maybe. Well, and here's the funny thing is that, so if you look year over year and this, this gets, I think probably to the, maybe the third component of where things went wrong or, you know, where our evaluation was wrong is that if you look at the expected goals for and against per 60, which is kind of a, it's at five on five. It's a stat that I like to look at for a team because it just gives you an idea of how well are they generating offense and how well are they defending? How well are they limiting shot quality um, the other way? So last season that, you know, Dallas Aikens first year, the ducks gave up um, 2.61 expected goals against per 60. And this year that actually went down to 2.5 so even without some of their their top d-men they still Mm -hmm. got a little better defensively but from an offensive standpoint expected goals four per 60 they went down from 2.32 to 2.08 they got worse offensively and i don't know if the talent was that much worse or i don't know was pretty close to being the exact same the available talent was not that much worse and i i really do think that where a lot of this really crumbled for the ducks is that they just couldn't generate offense. And it wasn't just a matter of, you know, their, their, you know, lack of finishing, you know, lack of production from certain guys. This was just a team wide, 
lack of offensive generation. And that to me does somewhat come down to coaching because some of the guys who were being left out of the lineup consistently, especially in the beginning, were more of the offensive types and they were being favored for the likes of Derek Grant, Nick Delorier, and that that is that was just mm-hmm. kind of a self-imposed restriction yep. on this team. Yep. Like, I mean, Troy Terry didn't play in all the games this year, and I think that he was made he played in 48 games. So he didn't play in eight eight of the 56. And I would think I think only maybe one or two of those would have been due to injury. Mm-hmm. I think a fair amount of those are due to scratch. Not playing Danton Heinen for yeah. uh for what, 12 games this year as a I, result of that. Not not treating not playing Trevor Zegras at his natural position. Like yeah. how how different is that expected and, and goals waiting, for total? Waiting a good amount of time to bring up Trevor Zegras as well. Like how different is that total if maybe the Ducks would have just said at the start of the year, hey, we're going to start him in the AHL. We want that to happen. Uh, we want to give him time in the AHL, but we're going to play him in his natural position as a center to let him play that in the AHL. Then they called him up at that same point in time. And we got essentially what Trevor Zegras was now, which just a, as a for reference, let me do this uh, in a rate standpoint because you just gave what was their their rate of expected goals four per 60? This year. Um, yeah, this 2.08. year. 2.08. So with Trevor Zegras on the ice at the end of uh, the season, that expected goals for uh, per 60. Now, granted, this is through natural stat trick as compared to uh, evolving hockey. So there are some differences. But the line of Zegras, Comtois, Terry was at 2.35 expected goals for per 60 and expected goals against of 1.45. So better offensively, better defensively than the Ducks were on the whole. Yeah, exactly. They they controlled play when they were out there. I mean, and and you could see that watching them. They spent a lot more time in the offensive zone and when they did and when they didn't get the puck they were really good at getting the getting it back yeah and so you know not every line is going to get it done in that style but it was pretty obvious with them and i think what made it even better is that you have a guy like Zegras who's such a good setup man who's turning out to be a good finisher too and Contois as well so i think that it just it took them a long time to kind of come to grips with what their actual optimal lineup was and by that time, it was just too late. And also, I know that maybe not everyone's going to agree with this, but I think that David Backus should have been an, yep. an, an every-game player this season. I, I mean, when he did get into the lineup, he was effective. When he played last year, he was a lot better than Derek Grant. And so mm-hmm. this kind of... It's funny how we keep coming back to Derek Grant, but like the over-reliance on Grant... Well, when you, when you, Because the thing is, when you don't have top-end talent, when you don't have you know, like a true scoring line or, or great possession driving lines, you can't have a line on your team that doesn't give you any value. And so when you're essentially punting on on your fourth line, your margin for error just, you know, it gets even lower for a team's margin of error that was already so low with with little goaltending to, to support that. So having Bacchus out there, I think would have made it maybe not a world of a difference, but it would have helped. There's just I mean, no question about that. And I mean, for anyone out there saying, well, you guys are harping on a fourth liner, liner, everything like that. Grant played 14 and a half minutes a night, like well, in all, in all situations. So well, it's well, not well, as if he was yeah. nothing. Well, that's the thing. Like we're talking about them as a fourth line, but in reality, the way Dallas Aikens used him, used that line. He was on the ice against Nathan McKinnon. Yeah. In a he- matchup early on in the season. Exactly. I will not forget like that is that was just <laughs> insane. Yeah. And so I so kind of we we've now touched on both uh the goaltending aspect of it, a little a lot of the usage aspects of it, which I think were a big downtrodden thing and kind of debunked I think the narrative a little bit of the injuries. And I think the fourth and final thing outside or you also just t- touched on the kind of offensive generation issue of it. 
But I think the other big issue here that kind of caused our evaluation to be off is that a 56 game season is a small sample size. And so I think that you saw things like, for instance, the Ducks power play. You and I were actually discussing this a bit in depth before we went live, but the Ducks power play for as much as it was maligned for being so poor this year, part of that was actually just pure bad luck. If you look at expected goals for, um, on at five or on the power play, which evolving hockey, actually, they, they put out a really good article where, where they broke down kind of their expected goal model. They've built different models for different situations. So their power play model is different than five on five to more accurately predict, uh, how many goals should be scored from various different chances. And so for instance, the ducks expected goals, uh, four per 60 on the power play is 6.57, um, whereas the actual goals four per 60 was 2.96. And so they were scoring about half as much as they should have. And so for anyone out there saying, well, yeah, that's because they suck. It's like, no, the 6.57 is based upon the number of chances that they are getting on the power play. So when we talked about how lethargic the power play would look at times, everything like that, that would be reflected in the expected goal for total. And so some of that may be due to the fact of Trevor egress when he came up, really kind of put a put a spark into the power play and really added to a new element that created chances and it just it hadn't necessarily resulted in goals yet and that's even what you see if you look at Trevor Zegers's production on the power play I believe he had no points whatsoever on the power play yet when you look at the the goals majority of his points were on the power play so Zegers he had six points in his last seven games uh when or in his seven games as a center those were all at five on five. Yeah. Eventually the production's going to come. And so I think that that's also part of this is that over a 56 game sample size, especially on something where the, the amount of time you get per game is not huge on a power play. Part of it is just bad luck. And, and that's part of what happened here. Now, granted, I think maybe the ducks were a little bit worse than that 6.57, but yeah, that's, the, that's what I, that's what I was going to say is even if they were generating that by volume, I still think that there was also just like a lack of talent. But they still should have scored more than they did. They probably should have scored more, but I I don't know. I mean I mean again, I mean we can just end up making this special the, teams was an issue, because that is true well, also. Well, well the thing is, even if you say looking at these numbers that mm-hmm. they were not as bad as the narrative would suggest, the numbers don't say they were good. Like nineteenth is not great. True. You're, fair. You're, you're still in the lower they, they were middle of the pack. Well, 19th is like lower end of middle of the pack. Like you're getting into the lowest. True. You're getting into the third tier. It's which better is, than dead last in goals four per 60. It's though. better, but I feel like there's, I mean, you know, when you're in that territory, there's, there is room for error up or down. And so I just, I'm not willing to fully buy into, oh, okay. well, they're better than the narrative. Like, yeah, there probably were, but watching this team, watching every power play, they were, they they just sucked. Like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I, guess, I guess they've just broken me after so many years That's of fair. watching them. But like the inability to get cross crease passing to, to, to generate those lateral plays uh, to create high danger chances from the slot. You know, this was a big issue for this team. And I don't think it was for a complete lack of personnel. I think that they had guys that they could, that they had units that looked good and that Dallas Akins would just kind of abandon them when they would have like, you know, one or two bad yeah. stretches because he, well, felt, he would, he would he, buy, he, he would buy too much into goals for percent, like the actual goals as compared yes. to what what was happening on that. Exactly. And, and, and this power play, I think kind of followed a similar trend, which it has under Dallas Higgins, which is in the beginning of the season to middle of the season, 
they are trying stuff. They are trying to be a bit more creative offensively. They are trying to actually kind of carve up the penalty killers going cross ice. And then when things, when the production isn't coming, they kind of just give up on that. And then they start going to this really caveman power play Mm -hmm. where they just fire shots from the point over and over, try to get rebounds. I mean, Dallas Higgins talked about this this year and I just don't like that mentality because doing those things, even if you do them well, the, the kind of simplification it doesn't actually bring you any closer to getting the systems you were trying to get to work to, to work, right? Yeah. You're, you're not actually advancing the, the bigger plan. And so, yeah, I understand, you know, two points are on the line. You want to get results, but over time, you got to find a way to instill those principles. And that's the thing with Dallas Akins that maybe is where he falls short is that I think he has good ideas. I think he has a good understanding of the game, you know, we, we've heard him talk about like expected goals in, in press conferences. Like, I don't think this guy is just like clueless, but I think that he has a difficult time either imparting the principles, getting guys to buy in, or maybe he, he is good at getting them to buy in. But then when things aren't working, maybe there's a little too much. Okay. We're just going away from this. I don't know. It, it could yeah. be all these things could be some of them could be none of them, but I feel like there, there is a, a bit of a disconnect there with how he speaks how he seems to understand the game and how things actually play out on the ice. And and again, like our assessments of this roster were not like there are you can't do anything with this roster. Like this is just a dead in the water well, roster. And and I do want to say this, kind of circling back to our preseason prediction, you both and you you and I both kind of were um we were optimistic, I think, with, with saying fifth. We we did yes. kind of add the caveat that fifth was assuming everything went right. Or that if is every true. if everything went absolutely right, they could maybe finish fourth. They would be in the race for the playoff spot, but most likely than not, they would fall short. But there the range of results for this franchise was huge. That they could finish anywhere from last to fourth in, in the division. And, yeah. and I think that we saw that this was on the lower end. This was when everything didn't go right. John Gibson didn't play the way he did. Uh, Dallas Hakins didn't take a step forward as a coach and didn't provide the optimal lineup, didn't play the best guys. I mean, how bad does it look in hindsight that he scratched Troy Terry for multiple games this season? And it's not as if Troy Terry's game really was that much worse then than it is now. Well, I think what looks especially bad is just that once Troy Terry started putting up points and kind of started getting the bounces that then all of a sudden Troy Terry became this well, one of and, the team's most responsible players. According it, to I mean, shocking. You put Troy Terry with good players. Good things happen. Like, like well, well, I, that, I, that's I, another I think, thing is that the line consists like he was the only line that really stayed consistent or the only two guys that really stayed together all season were Derek Grant and Nick Delorier. Yeah. But I just think with Terry, um, you know, he was always mm-hmm. a responsible player and it mm-hmm. just seems like I don't think he was actually being graded on that. I think he was being graded on his offensive production. And then once that started coming, then it's like, OK, well, now it's now he's the most responsible, yeah. one of the most responsible guys in the team. So those are all the things that went wrong. Um, I do think that maybe maybe we over just we did just overrate this team a little bit overrated. It's the ball, yeah, definitely. Because I think, again, this is something that's hard to kind of calibrate in my head is that, you know, we can criticize the coaching, criticize the usage, all of that. But at the end of the day, there is also the bigger question of management and this roster and the construction and how it was Mm -hmm. built. And I don't know, is it possible to hold both opinions that this roster was not well constructed and that it was not optimized? It seems like those two things do clash just a little bit because it does. I mean, the. I go back always to to this question that I 
remember Jeff Merrick would ask a bunch on Merrick versus Wyshynski way back in the day of, is it an issue of coaching or composition? Yeah. And I think that this is one of those cases where it's both. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that if the composition was better, the, the team could have performed better. Well, the, the margin but also, of error would have been would have been higher, right? Yes. Like, like but it, if, would, it would have been easier for them to survive some of the things that went wrong. Yeah, and, and if coaching was better, then they could have finished higher also because things would have been, been optimized in the better fashion. So yeah. I, I think that if you're trying to, though, zero in on what's the bigger issue with this roster, because I think that's where that question kind of comes in, is it coaching or composition? What was the downfall for this roster? And I think you and I both agree that it's more so a composition issue than a coaching issue. Well, that's the thing, because at the end of the day, even if we don't think Dallas Aikens optimized this roster, which he did not in his utilization, we have to keep in mind that Nick Delorier was brought in via trade, was extended. We have to remember that Derek Grant was brought back in free agency, signed to a three year deal. Three year deal. Like yeah. the management side of this, these guys were, you know, they were pushed on him. Like, we don't know if Derek Grant, I mean, I think, I think D- Dallas Higgins really likes Derek Grant. I think he yeah. loves Nick Delorier. And mm-hmm. I think they probably, he wanted to play them, but these are still the guys he was being given. Right. And and so it shouldn't be surprising that they were mainstays in, in the, the lineup. The only good move that Bob Murray made last offseason, and I will stand by this, is bringing Kevin Shattenkirk. Yeah. I mean, Kevin Shattenkirk, you know, I think he may not have completely lived up to the billing. No, but, but he didn't he live was, up. He didn't live up to the billing of he coming was, in and improving the power play. He was still mostly fine. I yeah. think just overall, if you look at, you know, I think the big thing that people are going to point to, and I think it's totally fair, is the penalty taking. That yep. was a huge issue. And it never really went away. I mean, looking at two games ago, I mean, this the second to last game of the season, still taking penalties at bad times. But overall, I think he was fine. I think he was below below value a little bit, but not by a huge margin. Yeah, um, he's within range of what he's getting paid. Exactly. A- and he should be able – I mean, from looking at the way he, he plays the game, he should be able to maintain that that value for the next two seasons. Yeah, so I think that we just spent 30 or so minutes talking about everything that went wrong or that you know we missed on. Maybe we should take a break and then talk about positives, about what to look yeah. forward in the so future. I think why don't we take a quick break and let's come back and let's just kind of wrap this up and we'll get into some questions with an MV, most valuable player for the Ducks. And then also to continue the negative aspects, why not? The <laughs> least valuable player for the okay. Ducks. Okay, and so <laughs> this uh, should be with- easy. With that being said, let's have a word from our sponsor. So this year, spring is going to hit a little different because we are all finally starting to get back outside and see friends again. No matter where your adventures take you, bring the comfort and style of Mack Weldon along for the ride. Trust me, your closet is going to thank you. Whether it's their hoodies, polos, tees, or active shorts, everything in the Mack Weldon collection mixes and matches seamlessly to fit in with any other trendy product you have. So Felix, I know both you and I um, absolutely love the uh, Ace sweatpants. I own, I think about two of them now. You own, I don't know how many you own, two. two. They are probably my favorite sweats I've ever owned. They are probably the perfect sweat because I'm someone who who likes a, a certain fit. I like a taper fit. I like a tight fit. I, I like I like that that for uh, for how clothes fit on me, and that's how these fit. And there's something you can wear out. You can go out on a walk in it. You can kind of go out on your spring mornings that are a little bit cooler, and, and then eventually kind of go to shorts afterwards. And they're just amazing. I mean, I, what have you thought of them? 
Yeah, no, they're they're extremely comfortable. I mean, they're probably one of the most comfortable pieces of clothing I've ever owned. Just period. They are just buttery smooth. That's the way I like to think about them. They're just buttery. Like you put them on, they just they they fit perfectly. Um, they you know when you put them like you know I put them in the dryer, they don't shrink. Uh, they're just and they don't get too hot. You know, with with sweats especially, um, that's one of the big issues wearing sweats like in the morning, especially here in like Southern California. As you put them on in the morning because mm-hmm. it's a little chilly. But then by noontime, you're just dying because it's it's too hot. And with these, look, it will get a little hotter, but that balance is way, way better. You can feel warmer in the morning and still you can wear them throughout the rest of the day and, and you won't even notice it. They're yeah, just and, comfortable. And as the day goes on, maybe you want something more like a dry fit tee. Mac Weldon has you covered with the with their dry knit t-shirts um, for you to go work out in. I mean, you and I know both uh, have various different Mac Weldon products to, for working out, whether it's their silver uh, boxer briefs. Th- those I wear almost every single workout. They're fantastic and really kind of stands up to the test of time. Uh, and they have so much different technology with a wide range of customized fabrics that can keep up you, with you no matter what your day looks like. So whether it's just lounging like their Sunday lounge pant, uh, which which is really nice, looks nice. Whether you're going on a hike and it's a little bit chilly uh, and you need a, a more of a sweat, it, there's just everything that you could ever need. Mac Weldon has you covered. And they also have their Weldon Blue, which is a totally free loyal, uh, loyalty program. Level 1 gets you free shipping for life. And once you reach level 2 by spending $200, you get 20% off every order for the next year. And I mean, Felix, tell them about the guarantee that Mac Weldon has. Yeah, so they actually they want you to be comfortable. So if you don't like your first pair of underwear, you can actually keep them and they will still refund you, no questions asked. That's, I don't know, that's a pretty big guarantee it, to me. It, 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 it's absolutely fantastic. So for 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com slash CTP and enter the promo code CTP. That's MacWeldon.com slash CTP, promo code CTP for 20% off. Mac Weldon, reinventing men's basics. So thank you so much, Mac Weldon, for that. Huge thank you to Mac Weldon. So yep. let's uh let's talk about let's finish up on some positives. I know you want to do MVP and LVP, which mm-hmm. uh we will get to, but I do want to okay. talk about that this is something I brought up after the game on Saturday. And I do think that even though like this season definitely exposed some of the worst aspects of this franchise, the management aspect, coaching aspect, um, some of the utilization, like a lot of things definitely went wrong and, and there is no getting around that. And that mm-hmm. is that, like, that's still there. That, that, yep. That's not going away. But I also do think that a lot of good will come out of the season in the long run. I think that to me, there's, I mean, there's, there I'll, I'll start. I'll, and, and this is not that long of a list. So we'll get through it in, in a decent amount of time, but it's the young, it's the kids that really took a step forward. It's Trevor Zegras, it's Troy Terry, it's Jamie Drysdale, mm-hmm. it's Max Contois. I think that just those four names alone, you know, nobody expected Jamie Drysdale to play this season, but because of the weird pandemic situation, he was able to play in the AHL, and then he got called up to the NHL and earned earned the opportunity to stay around. And yeah, even though some of the underlying numbers were not very good, I think that. Like we've discussed, there are some factors there. The fact that yeah. he's playing on his off wing, the fact that he was playing with with Josh Manson, who had a rough season, but still, as a teenager at at the NHL level, I thought he looked extremely comfortable, uh, looked mature beyond his years. And then Trevor Zegers, look, even as a winger, even in a situation yep. where Dallas Aikens was, you know, using kid gloves on his minutes and and jostling him around the lineup, looked great. And then once he you know, went down in the AHL, came back up as a center, just completely took off. And then, of course, 
Max Contois filling up the net, you know, setting career highs and goals, mm-hmm. going to get a nice contract extension. Look, yep. there's there's issues in his game, but he brings that rare quality. And then Troy Terry, who was the whipping boy of this co- coaching staff to start the year. I think that he showed everybody what he can do on, you know, on both sides of the ice, defensively, offensively. And so I think if you put all those things together, and I'm sure there are other things, like there is still a future there's, there's still a bright future, I think, for this this franchise. Yep, and I, I think like Troy Terry, I mean, if he can finally put up some production on the power play, if that eventually comes, he can eventually be a 40 or 50 point player, which I, I think is what you would really want from him. I mean, he's not going to necessarily be someone that drives uh, an offensive line, be, be that top producer, but if you can have a 40 to 50 point producer from him, especially his cap hit moving forward, like that, that's extremely, extremely valuable. And so I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with the positives for this Ducks franchise. It's that, I mean, there are obviously going to be negatives in the sense of some of the kids didn't necessarily improve and, and step up. But I think on the positive aspect, there were those, which granted you and I both expected Troy Terry to be, be the guy that takes the biggest step and, and granted, and granted Comtois probably is the guy that you might key in on um, due to the, the production that he had and obviously he deserves a lot of credit for that, but I think Troy Terry with his defensive game and just kind of offensive play driving, to me, he's been the most impressive kid uh, for this season for the Ducks franchise. We might be biased there, I might be biased there, but but that's kind of... More impressive than Trevor Zegras? I think more impressive on the whole because of just the the number of games that Troy Terry played in. Well, I think also, Trevor, every, I think that the seven Zegers, you, you kind of expect there's an yeah, expectation and, there. And the seven games, and it was also a seven game stretch for Zegers. I, I think that there were issues with him on the wing, but I think a lot of that came down to the fact of where how he was being handled, the position he was being put in, the fact that they had kid gloves. There were a lot of extenuating circumstances that really put him in a position to fail as compared to succeed. Yet when he came up as a center, he kind of really forced his way and and really because of being a center was was way more impactful. And, yeah, and, and and I do I do want to throw in this is a bit of an aside, but I do want to throw in as well not to the same degree as any of the guys I talked about, but I do think Isaac Lindstrom does deserve a bit of a shout out because I think that maybe he got a little overrated because of a, a hot stretch of scoring, but he still did show some kind of improvement. I think he, like when we were talking about, you know, breaking down the the pipeline, the prospect pipeline last offseason, we were talking about Lindstrom as a guy who was maybe going to max out as a fourth liner. And it feels like after this season, that ceiling has gone up a little bit. Even I think if it's, it's not, thir- I, I think it's a third liner now as compared to a fourth liner. Yeah, like I think he is. He showed a little bit more, and so it's important for this team to to have guys, even if they don't become stars. It's important for these guys that they drafted that they're giving opportunities to 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 become just serviceable NHL players at a bare minimum. And so for 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 a good number of them to take steps forward, I think is is important it's something to to be happy with it's something to kind of you know build around moving forward there are other guys who definitely did not take steps forward that maybe have even taken steps back but regardless i mean this is the positive section and i do want to end on that note because it is it is important to to kind of look at the whole picture it's not all not all doom and gloom yeah it's definitely not there there are positives and i think also i mean Danton Heinen, I think, had a solid enough season. <laughs> yeah, I feel, Dan, like we like, never, I feel like we never talk about Danton Heinen. Uh, I mean, Sonny Milano, I mean, in the short, small sample size, it's obviously a bummer with the concussion issues, it sounds like, that he's he's yep. been having. But uh, he was a guy that, that looked good in the small sample size that he that he played in. So, mm-hmm. obviously, and uh, like you said, Jamie Drysdale, um, 
put in really bad situations, but looked okay. He had it. He had his good moments and where he looked really, really good. And he has bad, bad moments, but yeah. that's going to happen when you're an 18 or 19 year old playing in the NHL. One thing on Jamie Drysdale, I want to ask you, he's in the NHL next year, right? Yeah. I think that there's very little doubt about that. I mean, yeah. I don't see what else they would do with him. There, there's no way you put him back in the OHL. Yeah, I, I just think he played too much at the at the NHL level in this year. And look, they had opportunities to send him back down, and they didn't take them. So I think that he's staying. And, oh, and one one thing I one thing I want to mention mm-hmm. um, on Zegers and Drysdale. I think I saw Eric Stevens mention this. And this, is, this was something I couldn't ever uh, find an actual answer to, and Cat Friendly even didn't know when I messaged them whether the uh, Calder Cup or Calder Trophy uh requirements would get um uh prorated for the season mm-hmm. so i think it's typically like 25 games is what someone guy someone has to play in order to be uh eligible for the calder trophy um and, or not eligible for next year's to be, basically not be considered a rookie um Z, it is 25 games and that's not getting prorated so zegris and Drizo will be eligible for the rookie of the year trophy next season so they will technically still be rookies. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Trevor Zegers, if you're a betting man, uh, you have to keep an eye out on what those odds are going to be for the Calder yeah, Trophy. Yeah, because <laughs> Lafreniere is, is already, uh, has already gone through his rookie year. Uh, Stutzle has already gone. Well, and, also, sure. and also think about who's going to be coming in next year. Yeah, it, exactly. There's not necessarily a guy from this upcoming draft that's going to come in and, and blow off the doors. And, I mean, and off the top of my head, there's also not like a Kaprizov who's you know coming over. It, it's basically, I think it's going to be maybe Zegers and like, Maybe it's going to be Zegers, Byfield, Caulfield. Yeah, I think that man, that would be an. That would, I mean, that will be a really fun race because yeah. those are those are three really fun like, players. I could see Caulfield being in the running for it because I mean, Montreal's just a better team. He's going to be in a better situation. And he's going to put up goals. Yeah, I mean, he is playing on a. He's anyway. I don't want to talk about the Canadians, but yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be fun. Like there are things to be happy with this team, and I think maybe the, the if you're one of the fans right now who's kind of. Real, a little beat down by the season. Look, the, the, we don't know. Look, I at least am. I am of the belief that Dallas Aikens and Bob Murray will be back for next season. I think both will be back, and you know they have one more year left for each of them on their contracts. And I think after that, it's wide, wide open. I don't know if either of them are back after that. What do you, What are your thoughts on that? Because that to me is kind of where we don't know. Like, yeah, but, it's because like, you know I, I saw someone throw out there the other day, and I kind of maybe agreed with it that Bomber is a bad rebuild GM, but as things get better, maybe his handling of the team improves because he, that's what he's better at. So well, what, the, what are your thoughts on that? The the issue there is that, and, and yes, I, I think Bob Murray, Bob Murray during his time when the ducks were good, got a little bit too much flack. I, I think like, yeah, well, he, because he, of he, the lack of playoff success. Yes. And, and I think that, there are things you can definitely be critical of him. I think maybe pulling off a, a bigger deal earlier would have been better. Maybe going, uh, not trading Bobby Ryan for pieces uh, and instead moving him for someone that could help the team. Different things like that you could maybe argue. But I think he did a good job of of kind of improving the roster, doing things on the fringes when he already had um, when he already had the the pieces in place. The issue is he doesn't know how to build the team when they don't have those pieces already there. And I think that that doesn't necessarily change right now. And I'm not sure 
he knows how to really insulate those pieces to, to really meet that age group. And we've yet to see him make a single move to really assess or to really improve this team for the next contending window. Yep. He's more so trying to make moves in the 24 to 30 age range, which lines up with the upper end of the Terry steel, that, yeah, that kind we, of group. And we do have but, some, we do have some material to judge him off of because I mean, you know, he went out and got Volkov and Flurry this season. That those were the two big moves. And you know, Volkov wasn't, wasn't that awesome. And Flurry was fine, but mm-hmm. We see these are not needle movers. To your I mean, point, and name, and this is kind of where I stand on it with the the rebuild and Murray. If he's official, which he is officially calling this a rebuild, he has yep. mentioned rebuild. Akins has well, mentioned well, rebuild. If he's not. Akins is doing it for him. So. Bob Murray has said this rebuild or something along those lines. And here's the issue: when you're rebuilding a team, part of it is moving out guys that you like. Like that is kind of a necessity for a rebuild is you are rebuilding the roster. You are taking out guys that you may still like that are outside of your age group and then replacing them with younger guys, with guys that will help you more in the future. You are essentially taking out from uh, the the upper age range and replacing them with the lower age range. Yep. And, and Bob Murray has yet to do that. Every guy he's moved out is never in that upper age range. He's only moving out guys that he has fallen out of fa- have fallen out of favor for him. The the Nick Richies of the world, the Andre Koshes of the world, the Brandon Montours of the world. And that's not to say those are bad trades, but the issue is is that he's trading guys that he has not liked anymore. That there is a reason to trade them because right. he does not like them. And instead, he needs to be moving guys that he doesn't necessarily want to trade, but you need to trade them to get the team better in the future. And I think that's my concern. And maybe he does that this offseason. My concern is that every offseason, it's been said, we'll just wait till the offseason. Just wait till the offseason. You don't know the full puzzle. And it's like, well, at what point are we, what point do we stop saying we'll wait for the offseason? Because we have yet to have that. There has never yeah. been an offseason where he's done that. And so yeah. it, 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 maybe, it feels, it maybe feels like a boy. Maybe, maybe but it feels one. like the boy who cried wolf at this point in time with that, that thought process. So, yeah. Kind of when looking at Murray and Akins, I think that they both do need to go. I, I think that the franchise needs them to go. The franchise needs to turn over a new leaf. It needs to start over. And I want to give Dallas Akins the benefit of the doubt. Maybe it's it's Bob Murray, but I mean, at the end of the day, he's been poor this season. And I think he's that been poor two seasons. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that I if I have bring in a new GM, I want that GM to pick his coach. Well, yeah, and and one thing I do want to say on Akins too is that before the season started, I even said like, I don't care really so much if they make the playoffs or not in terms of my evaluation of, of Dallas Akins. I want to see changes, improvements in just how they play the underlying metrics about how, you know, the tactics, things, things like that. And we just didn't really see that this season. I mean, if anything, like I said, with the offensive chance generation, it got worse. And, and I think that part of that is definitely on him. So yeah. Do you think that's why it's making me hard? It's, it's making it hard for me to be uh, an optimist. Let me, let me ask you this. Chris Kindred brought this up in the Twitch chat right now. Detroit, New Jersey, Ottawa, Los Angeles have all been trading older assets to help rebuild. And Anaheim has not been doing that, which is factual and correct. And he feels like our prospect depth is lacking because of it. Do you agree that the Anaheim ducks prospect depth is lacking? Uh, no, I don't think it's lacking. I think it here's my my stance on this. I think they've finally added the higher end talent, but I think that every kind of piece outside of maybe Jacob Perot 
doesn't really strike me as being NHL level talent in that I mean, prospect system. M- maybe Gru, maybe Bo Gru is a guy who becomes an NHL. Yeah. Maybe Josh Mahura eventually becomes a full time NHL. But the blue line depth is is really thin. Well, I mean, I I think that there are some guys. I that, mean, Henry Thrun, Henry Thrun's there. Henry, Jackson Lacombe, Lacombe. Yeah, got, and even and even um, I'm blanking on his name. Ian Moore. Ian Moore, exactly. Like, I don't think it's fair. I think at worst now it's more like average. Maybe it's just a little overhyped. Fair. Yeah, that's fair. But I, I think they've done a decent job of kind of re- restocking that that pipeline. That's fair. And that's okay. going to happen. And that's going to happen. Like that's going to improve again this year with this draft. Yep. Definitely. Um, all right. Want to jump into MVP and LVP for the season? Which one do you want to do first? Uh, oh, man. LVP is going to get me in trouble. Let's go LVP first to be positive Sunday and end on the positive before uh, we get into questions. Oh, okay. Yeah. When you first said, let's do LVP to, to start on the positive or no positive I... Sunday. <laughs> okay. Okay. It's so that we can then end on the positive. Yeah. I mean, LVP to me. And again, this is like, this is probably harsh, and now maybe I'm I'm doubling back. But just so that I can, just so that you can be the good guy here, and I can be the bad guy. I'm this is I'm doing this for you. LVP is going to be John Gibson. I just wow. think he, he was really bad. I mean, and, it's fair. And it's I fair. Think, and and he's a, that, like, it's a, such a vital position. Yeah, and at that position, being bad or being good, like you, you get it both ways. If you're great, you get it. You get the applause. You you have your own trophy. Um, but if you're bad, like you kind of got to wear it and he, he wasn't sorry. Maybe that's harsh. Yeah. Fair. I mean, you're you LVP. Took, I, I let you take that. So you took the fall there. It's Derek Grant. It yeah. has to be Derek Grant. I mean, Derek Grant was, was God awful this year. I mean, it, it, <laughs> it, it, it basically any way that you want to want to slice it, he was bad. The only thing that he was like good at this year was I think the penalty kill. I think that was it. And so outside and sorry, sorry, let me, let me add something. He was good at penalty kills and face-offs, which don't matter. Um, so there you go, folks. Good at face-offs, but nice. that very, very on brand for you there. Yeah. So, who, I mean, who, who's your MVP? Let's well, let, wait, let's, let's switch to the positive real quick. I want to show real quick up on the screen. Now <laughs> is the shooting adjusted wins above replacement from top down hockey. And as you can see, when you take out shooting percentage, so kind of more so repeatable events with even strength offense, even strength defense, power play, yeah, penalty but see, kill. I, I actually think that for the purposes of what we're doing now, that actually is not really that um, helpful or well, like this per- is, pertinent. This, this is we're, judging, sh- we're judging this what is, has happened. Sorry, this is a show Derek Grant, though, how poor he was. I know, but I'm just saying like shooting percentage is important in this evaluation. Fine. Fine, fine. Let me bring up this, the full-on war if it will load for me. Just just for context, because granted, Derek Grant also still very bad in that. So, he was ba- I mean, he was bad however you slice it. Yeah, exactly. That was my point. But, um, and, and maybe I'm being too harsh on Gibson because he was probably still more valuable than... He was definitely still more valuable than Derek Grant, but the problem is that at his position, his, his impact is you know, huge. It's exponential or, yeah. or exponentially higher. Okay. Your MVP, my MVP, I feel like Cam Fowler. damn it. You stole mine. Why did Cam, I let you go first? I don't know. You had the opportunity to go first and you just threw it at me. I yeah. Mean, it's, it's Cam Fowler. I mean, here, here's the issue with the forwards is Max Comtois was, I think the best shooter for the ducks. He had the best goal. Well, okay. Scoring. But here's the thing. I do want to give him some credit for that though, 
because no, because that that is important. I'm not discounting that. That is something that was very important. Well, but no, in- no. But I also think that just you know when we're just evaluating what has happened, yeah, shooting like if we're just seeing who added the most value, Courtois added a ton of value. Now the issue with really honing in on the shooting percentage moving forward is that we don't know how repeatable that is. But yeah. just in terms of judging the past, I think it's fair to to give Courtois the proper credit for that. Yeah, no, he should get the proper credit, but I think you also need to value play driving and pushing. Yes. And, and, and Fowler was a beast in all that. And, and whereas Comtois, on the other hand, left you lacking a little bit with what he did outside of that. I mean, he was yeah. a little bit of, like you said this, I think, before the show, a little bit negative cal- or empty calorie scoring in a way. Well, that's the thing is he he scored a ton and didn't, you know, the, the actual offense he brought wasn't quite on that same level. Now, I got to say, though, it is weird because when you look at like top-down hockey, their model for you know wins above replacement he actually looks a lot better in terms of play driving just offensively than he mm-hmm. does like with evolving mm-hmm. hockey yep so that does give me a little confidence and it gives me the confidence to say that since you already picked cam fowler i'll go max oh, i didn't even get to really i was just talking about why i didn't pick calm 12 real quick <laughs> sorry i'm just but i'm just snatching the spotlight from you You are but on, on cam fowler cam fowler had an absolutely fantastic season he elevated any single defenseman that that played with him. He single-handedly essentially got the Ducks picks. I mean, he got the Ducks a fourth-round pick for Eric Goodbranson. He essentially got the Ducks Hayden Flurry because he elevated Yanni Hockenpah enough and elevated his trade value where Carolina went out and got him. And so he, basically anyone that he's played with over the last... I mean, he, he, he almost resuscitated Jacob Larson's career yeah, at the exactly. very end there. <laughs> exactly. I mean, Michael Delzato, uh, Erica, Erica Branson looked like an NHL caliber defenseman. Yeah. Uh, for, yeah, no, for the he, Ducks. He, he was great this season and very, and quietly great. You know, like the, maybe the point production that it didn't blow anybody away, but I thought that he was very solid in all aspects of the game, uh, offensively, defensively, transition, he was good. And I mean, even looking at like wins above replacement, he was still positive value, even like looking at the power play. So I'm, I'm happy for him because, you know, he has been around for a long time and, you know, has been critiqued by the likes of people like me. And so, and I'm sure he doesn't read that into that at all, but you know, it's just nice to see him have some, a a good season. and, and I think it's nice to see him because he's also getting paid a decent amount. And the yeah, fact well, that well, for the ducks moving forward, it's important. Yeah. And you can see now up on the screen is RAPM chart from evolving hockey. And you can see just how good he was for this ducks team this year. I mean, in terms of looking at shot against uh, the only thing he was below average on was expected goals against, but he still limited shot qu- uh, quantity. He was generating shot quality, shot quantity for, and goals were going in. The only other thing was just, he was generating chances for the ducks on the power play at least. And it just wasn't going in the back of the net. And so, I mean, he was very, very good for the ducks. And I mean, I think he was undoubtedly the ducks MVP this year. Yeah. I'll go, I'll go Max Contois, even though I would, I 100% agree with Fowler as a pick, but Max Contois was, I mean, is it fair to say he was their best forward just in terms of like when you, if you are factoring in production, if you're factoring in production, yes, because it's undeniable. You can't ignore the fact that he led the ducks in points. And that's something that is, is definitely important. Yeah, but and, I- and even, and even when you look at his play driving, like even if you look at, for example, evolving hockey's, uh, RAPM charts, which, you know, like the, the kind of isolated impact on the overall flow of the game, he actually, I mean, his numbers were not that good for quite a bit of time there. And, Maybe it's playing on a line with Trevor Segris and Troy Terry, but those numbers took an uptick. And even yeah. there, he is looking a lot better. And even more importantly, 
he's still a negative defensively, but with his with his even strength offense improving, that is less of a concern because yeah, he, I, he can he can somewhat make up for it. I will say I think Ricard Raquel also had a solid season. I think he's up there. I I think the three forwards that played a lot of the season that I would put in that mix would be, and this is also in some ways, I guess, not purely looking at production. I guess let me go four forwards here. I'm expanding it. Comtois, Raquel, Terry, Getzloff. Yeah, but I I am just going to give Comtois the the, the nod Because he scored. Yeah, and also, like, I mean, at the end of the day, and, you know, this is the issue with, you know, like the, the smaller sample, but still... Well, the way he, the, the way the dust settled on his numbers, he looked good in terms of driving play at five on five offensively. Let, let me ask you this much right here, because this is something I'm kind of looking at right now, and I, I'm almost asking myself this question. And I think that this is the best thing for like a podcast is just throwing well, out ideas. Well, Comtois is the kind of player that does. Well, this it, isn't even about Comtois. This is now about Ricard Raquel. Raquel's <laughs> only finished five points back uh, of Max Comtois. Yeah. And and did that with very poor shooting percentage. Well, yeah. I mean, I think if you want to talk about that in terms of just the perception of Raquel, I think a lot of people are probably going to be out on Raquel after this season. But I think he was he was fine. I mean, there were definitely areas of his game that took a little bit of a step back. And then, of course, the finishing was just not there at all. But for the most part, who he was this season is who he's kind of been the last couple of years. I mean, a guy who is going to bring you offense is not going to be great defensively but the thing is in the past few years you know Raquel has had the production to kind of make you forget about some of the weaknesses away from the puck but this season without that I mean everything was kind of laid bare but he was still I think he was he led he led the team in shots on goal by a significant margin 144 shots on goal to Comtois 94 like that is a big margin yeah first and and second outside of Comtois improving you know like his defensive game and things like that I do think for him to become a guy who we can feel confident about sustaining his production, he is going to have to increase that shot volume. Yeah. Um, I mean, it doesn't hurt that he, a lot of his chances seem to be, you know, crashing in that front net. Yeah. You know, the slot area, but it's still like something that you'd like to see. But with Raquel, look, I'm not, I, I don't think he had a bad season at all. And, you know, in terms of just how he was playing, but I can't give him the MVP because ultimately he didn't contribute yeah. as much as Max Contois. Yeah, I mean, like a, this is just kind of where I was going with this is that it's not as if it was night and day though in the production. It was five points no. difference. No, and, and, and I and, and I think that's something that's interesting to me is that the perception of, of Raquel and especially looking at these numbers is he he really didn't produce from a shooting uh, aspect. Yet he still put up a lot of points. Like he still was. I mean, granted, twenty eight. A lot. <laughs> yeah. Careful with Re- the a lot. <laughs> relatively for the ducks. Relatively for the ducks. If like yeah. if he would have shot the amount that uh, or had the the impact from a shooting perspective that Comtois did, he would have probably been in the forty or fifty point range. Yeah, I, I think that just what uh what people. I mean, the the thing with Comtois versus Raquel is that Comtois almost had double the amount of goals. Yep. And so that'll. That'll that'll kind of shift the the perception there, but I think I mean I think Contois was impactful, and I think yep. if you compare, even if you try to compare the impacts, if you try to compare the RAPM charts, like Contois was close in that regard to Raquel. Yep. So and like it's funny because the way that their profiles look here at the end of the season, they look like similar players actually, and it's it's funny that they don't really play the same at all, but their statistical profiles look similar. And like Contois' production this year is very similar to Raquel in his last contract year. So 
I don't know. It's just interesting. It's just there's there's so much to unpack with this team, and we will get to we'll probably do more like a kind of player by player evaluation yeah. at some point in the off season. But uh, yeah, by the so way, I'm, I'm going Quintois. You went Fowler, and, and Ryan uh, Getzloff yeah. deserves some love. He's he wasn't oh. the MVP, but he deserves some. Well, love. Well, again, I mean, this is going to become a a theme on this show for the until next season. But I think Ryan Getzloff got way too much flack this year. Um, I understand he wasn't the player that he, you know, that his contract that you would hope that he would be, but he's 36, right? He's just not going to be that guy. It's just, that's just how these things work. His impact on the game was fine. He was playing these kind of, I mean, he was getting some horrendous like deployment, you know I mean? At the end of the season, playing on the wing, he was fed a steady diet of Max Jones all season who, you know, is a fine kind of, you know, checking winger Ma- but is max it- jones is basically replacement level I, yeah. I think that that's where you and i have settled in on exactly it. but getzloff was fine this year and he was good defensively he still drove offense he was still a positive impact in that regard just again for like for a lot of these veteran ducks just did not get the production now i will say that there is a bit of a demerit for getzloff and for a lot of the the ducks team especially the the, the forwards is and Kevin Chattenkirk is the the power play because his yeah, impact on the power play, fair. he was not a positive impact on I mean, the power play. He, and, and, ask, and, let, and you would hope that that would be where he would thrive. But I do think that that's where coaching does come in. I was going to say, let me throw it out there. How much of that, if every single person across the board was like that, how much do we put on the players and how much do we put on the coaches? Then? Well, that's the thing. And that's why when I hear, you know, oh, well, the Ducks power play, the the goal, the chance generation was still like kind of middle of the pack. It's like, I just... That's why that's where I have a hard time putting much stock into that or, or viewing that as a positive because I really do think that there was just more value kind of left on the table like with a guy like Ryan Getzlaff. It just feels like you should be able to find a way to to you know build a a, a decent power play with a Ryan Getzlaff type with an elite playmaker. And instead, I mean they just kind of wasted him. And it's yep. funny because Eric Stevens wrote that article about, you know, wasting John Gibson, you know, and comparing him to Mike Trout in with the angels. And I think that the ducks have done a lot of that with Ryan Getzloff in the yep. last few years, yep. you know, cause he's still been good. And you know, a lot of people don't want to hear that, but that is the truth. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So let's get into some questions. So we got some from Twitter. So I want to hit these real quick and then Twitch we're coming to you. So hold on to your questions. We'll get to them all after that, <laughs> after these, but uh, Alex McKay said, curious question for the pod. If the NHL players participate in the upcoming winter Olympics, February, 2022, which ducks would get a legitimate call from their national teams, if any? I think John Gibson is is safely. I think he's he's might be the only lock um, out of well, anyone. I think it's him, Hellebuck, and probably Spencer Knight would be my three for the U.S. I would bet. Yeah, but I think Gibson is solidly in there. I yeah, mean, maybe I I'm wrong. Maybe they actually look at the num the numbers he's put up. But it seems like the Olympics are kind of reputation based. Yeah, um, and so I think he's in there, especially with Team USA calling the shots. I don't know if Cam Fowler gets on that team just because there's so many good, you know, U.S. born defensemen, but he should be considered at, yep. at bare minimum. Yeah, I feel like Shattenkirk is probably a little bit too much on the outside looking in. Yeah, at this I point. agree. And then for Sweden, I mean, I think Ricard Raquel is in there. Yep, sol- solidly. You and I disagree on Hampus Lindholm. I think it's a tougher road for him because Sweden has a lot of defensemen. Well, he keep pro- in mind that just this is just about making the team. Yeah, but I think, but yeah, but he has a, I mean, he will probably be on their team though, even if yeah. he's not like, you know, necessarily in the lineup every single game, Yeah, he'll, he'll likely be on their team. Here's a guy. I mean, do you think, okay, this is probably going to sound ludicrous. Maybe, maybe just 
drinking the Kool-Aid too much, but do you think that with another good stretch of, of play and, and production that Troy Terry could be like, you know, a, a, a fringe kind of depth guy for team USA. I, I don't think so because have you, he, looked, he, he, no, I don't, I don't think so because team USA is pretty stacked. They are stacked. I mean, Trevor Zegris is another think, name that I would I think, be curious I, about. I think Trevor Zegris has more of a chance to, to make team USA because of the, the world junior reputa- reputation. Well, I mean, the, Troy Terry's world junior reputation. Yeah. Trevor Zegris set an American record. Yeah, I know. At, I like know. a little <laughs> bit of a different caliber there. Yes. I and, agree. And, and so the fact that they may view Trevor Zegris as being one of the future pieces, so they may want to bring him on to, to essentially just have the experience, not nec- maybe not play, but, but be the, the 14th forward or whatever it is and be there with the team. Sometimes uh, national teams want to do that. Yeah. So I, I could see that potentially happening with, with Trevor Zegers, especially because uh, I could see him getting invited to the summer camp and I could see if he has a hot start to the year and puts up a bunch of points is in the, the race for rookie of the year come the time they announce. Because what is it? They announce the roster. Typically, I think it's at the Winter Classic. So yeah, if he has a, if he has a, January. if he has a, if him or Ter- Terry have a hot start to the year, I wouldn't rule it out. Yeah. The, I'm gonna, the, 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 oper- the ability for that to happen, but I think it's more likely for Trevor Zegers to make the team than, than Troy Terry. Yeah. I'm going to go out on a limb though. And no one, no duck I think is going to be on team Canada or have yeah, a chance I, for team Canada. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, mean, I, I all due respect to the, the season Colton just had, but you know, it's Canada. Yeah. So I, I think that is Volkov you, is Volkov a outside looking in for Russia. I mean, I, I would, would imagine. I would imagine because <laughs> I so. feel like it, those, is so is those, Silverberg on the the outside looking in for Sweden. Yeah, Uh that is a good question. I mean, let's see. I would imagine so. I mean, the, the thing with Sweden is that we think a lot about their demon, but they have a lot of options up front. They as do. Well. But I feel like they may value kind of Silverberg's defensive game. Well, here are the guys that they have to put in at right wing. Um, I mean, you have Elias Lindholm, William Nylander, Victor Arvidsson. Well, Elias Lindholm has been playing center this year. Yeah, but so with all the centers that they have, these guys are going to be shifted to the wing. And so I just, I don't know. And also like Silverberg just... I could see Silverberg making over like Niels Hoglander, who is the fourth guy you were going to say. I mean, can you? Yeah, I could. Okay. The, the, the o- older, older, there. O- older veteran player. I could see Sweden wanting a more defensively the, responsible the, the, player. The, the dumb thing about that is that in a short tournament, that's actually not the kind of guy you want. In that oh, role. agreed. You I'm want a guy who that, can catch fire. Yeah, I, I could see them doing it. So, truth, truth. yeah. Um, but yeah, but outside of that, though, like, I don't, you know, there's no fins. So, yep. All right. <laughs> so let's get to. Uh, this question from Joe, a uh, fellow Spurs fan, had two questions saying, can you two be bold and rank your top 10 draft prospects or at least tier them based on what you've seen via video and statistical models? Doesn't matter if your knowledge of them isn't extensive, as extensive as you desire. It's still interesting and valid. So wow. you and Thank I, you. yes. I would, and, I would actually disagree, but. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think the way to do this, because you and I both, I think, are in the same state where we've started our draft research, have a good handle on everyone, but need to do a bit of a deeper dive into watching film on each one, which you and I think are going to do a little bit more of in the next little bit. Well, now, but, there's, now there's time. Yes. So I think the way to do this is kind of throwing guys into tiers. And sure. so I, I, you, you can do that if you'd like. And that's how I'm going to do this right now. So my top tier of this draft personally is a it's a top four. It's Owen Power, Matt Beneers, William Eklund, and Brant Clark. 
And I think that those four are the the clear top four players in this draft. And the reason why I kind of say those four players is those guys have the the track record, have the reputation. They've been scouted by a bunch of different people. They've kind of settled into those positions. I have my issues with with guys with Owen Power slightly with him being the consensus yeah, I, number I, one. I wouldn't have Power in that tier. It, the reason I have him in that tier is I think that you have to recognize what he has. I think that I have him on the four, him fourth in that tier. I, I recognize it, but I don't like the okay. thing is to to me I just don't value that kind of player with Fair. with 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 like that high of a pick when you do have at least some kind of ceiling well, type plays. Available. So I think he's top tier, but I think if I were drafting, I would take any of the other three. I would take Baneers, Eklund, and Clark all over Owen. Yeah, Owen I mean. Power. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I definitely value like so. To me, my top tier would be, and I'm actually, I might even order them. I think I might have Clark at the top of this tier, which might be okay. too bold. But Clark with Beniers and Eklund is kind of that top grouping for me, um, just because with with Clark and Eklund, you do have guys who can kind of change the outlook for you offensively, and 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 Clark can, does it from the back I mean, end. Eklund, do we, do we underrate Matt Beniers' offensive game? No, I don't think we underrate it. I think we properly rate it. Like he is a very good uh, offensive player, play driving, but just doesn't necessarily have that kind of spark. Um, you know that that kind of dynamic it, offensive toolkit. So let me just mention this. I was looking up some numbers last night because I was just curious. Matt Beniers in the last, I think it's like ten or twenty years in, in the NCAA hockey has uh-huh. the second best point per game pace from a draft eligible player. The only player that's higher is uh, uh, Jack Eichel, who was like 1.7. Well, okay. Where, so whereas Matt Beniers was at 1.0. If you told me Matt Beniers is your first overall pick, I would probably yep. have very little yep. pushback and, on that. And that, and that is where if, if we're, I'll just number mine, I would probably go Beniers, then Eklund, then Clark. Yeah. I just really like Clark. I also really like Eklund. I also really like Beniers. You yep. know, it, it's kind of like a matter of taste. Um, if you maybe were to put me in a position where I had to make the decision, I think I would probably land Beneers just because he does seem like of these three guys, he, he has the most probably polished overall game and he does have that. He does have that offensive ability as well. Um, but with Clark, there just seems, and with Eklund, same thing, there just seems to be so much potential there, so yep. much offensive potential. Yep. And that's what you want to shoot for when you're picking that high. You yeah. Know, and, and, and so, so me maybe being higher on the other guys has less to do with what Beniers can't do, and just what I think those other guys fair. can potentially do. That's fair. So I, I think power is part of this this group. I think you and I nah. disagree there, but I, I think that he is nah. at the bottom of this group. But he is yeah. in this. I think he's in the same same tier. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if you said that to me, like in the way you're saying it, like maybe I'll agree. But I just again, like if I'm picking with one of these top three picks i would just have a hard time picking owen power i really yep. would and then so let's get into the next year who do you have in your next year i'm gonna make you go first this time <laughs> yeah i mean this is a really hard one because like we've like we've been talking about like this is where this is where the prep the preparation would be you know a longer prep would be useful i mean one guy that i think seems to be kind of talked about a lot and a guy that you know I think some people there's a, a bit of a range of opinions is Simon Edvinson because with Simon Edvinson, he is again in this group of D men that, that people have kind of built their perception of the draft class around is this, there's a bunch of D men 
And I think that for him, he's not a guy that I would have that far up there. I know that Bob McKenzie like had him as high as like tied for second, but I just want to put his name as someone that I don't hold. I I would have him two two tiers down from the top tier. So let let's let's the second tier for me is probably going to be Dylan Gunther, Kent Johnson, Fabian uh, Lissell, and Luke Hughes. Yeah, no. See, I would not have Luke. You would, Hughes you in would there. not. I have Luke Hughes there. You don't. Well, so one that. guy that a lot of people are lower on, and I, there's definitely understandable reasons. But I really like, uh, I really like Cole Sillinger's game. Yeah, and I do think that that shot, that offensive ability. I know that his playmaking kind of went missing this year, but he is a guy who I would have in that second tier, and he's definitely more of a. Definitely more of a, I would say, shot in the dark, but he he does have that offensive ability that gets me excited. But yeah, I would agree with Dylan Gunther in there for sure. Should, two things. Should we have Jesper Wall, Wallstat in this tier? I mean, I think if you're just being an objective kind of an analyst, you you have to get in. You have to get him in here soon um, because you're you're running out of time. Um, I just would not draft a goalie that high. That's yeah. the issue for me. So I, I think that maybe that second tier. So if we're gonna kind of come together for our consensus. I think kind of in the way I put it, let's just agree that top tier includes power, but it's the very low end of it. The second tier is Gunther, Wallstedt, uh, Sillinger, Johnson, Lissell, right? Yeah, I mean, I think Lissell has really come up at the at the U18s, and I know mm-hmm. that like we're probably reading into that too much, but we're working off of limited information. Yeah, here. and the one thing I want to mention on Dylan Gunther, because he's he's all over the place on draft boards, some some places have him, I think, fourth or third. I think uh, that was uh, – I think Bob McKenzie's had him that high. My concern with Dylan Gunther is is sample size. And, and granted, that same thing can be said for a lot of guys in this draft class. But he is a guy, if you go back and look at draft boards prior to the WHL season starting, he's maybe middle of the first round type of guy. And then he puts up two points per game in the uh, WHL, which if you go back the last 20 years is the best point per game pace out of any forward in the WHL over that time span, but it was only over 12 games. Yeah. I mean, so, that's, that's just not enough. Yeah. And so that's my concern is putting too much faith in a 12 game sample size where granted he produced insanely well, but I'm just very hesitant to have this guy jump from being essentially a middle mid round, mid first round pick to being a top five pick. And so have I you, have him. Have you, ha- you haven't named Kent Johnson yet. Have you? I have him in the, Yes, I did in this. Okay. Tier. Okay. This, that's sec- what I figured. this, okay. this second tier. And then for me, the third tier is going to be the one with Simone Edvinson. So that would be kind of rounding out the top 10, I believe. Uh-huh. Okay. And okay. And you, you haven't put in Mason McTavish just for I record. have not. I don't okay. know. I honestly don't know enough about Mason McTavish. Yeah. I mean, he's looked really good at the U18s. And I mean, he does seem to have that kind of like two-way ability. He's also a good finisher and type. But yeah, that I think that it's a it's a sensible kind of list that we've cobbled together here. Um, again, yeah. I'm, ex- I'm excited to dig into this class more. And the, the the one name that there's a lot of like disparity with it seems just in terms of like like for example how like at the hockey prospecting model will rank him and how like scout trading him is Sasha Postyov because it seems like he's getting a little more buzz now because well, he, he had a good U eighteen yeah exactly and so I'll just be curious kind of where he ends up uh, by the way so Bob McKenzie's draft had Gunther at number two so I'm looking at elite prospects so yeah so that's kind of the the type of small sample size theater that I'm terrified of with Gunther is that moving a guy up from like middle of the first round to second because yeah. of 12 games it, yeah it, no you, you don't you don't want to do that but that being said the WHL is a tough league it is you know like the equivalency there is 
it, it's significant. And, and so, and, and he's very highly rated. I think he's the highest rated uh, by Byron Bader's model. Um, and and so it's not a situation where the stats don't back up. Uh, yeah, back him up. It's just more so my own personal. Uh, yeah. So view I, I, of him. I think it, what's exciting about this draft class is that even though there is very, I mean, to me, it's. And I think to a lot of people, it's clear like there isn't like a true top guy. There's definitely no, um, you know, generational talent in here. But there is this kind of collection of talent. There are a lot of guys. Good players. There's a lot of good players who I think you know you can be drafting even outside the top five, even outside the top ten, and you could get a you could get a quality player who will help your team. And I think it's going to be fun over the next month or or two here to just kind of sift through this list sift through the names and and kind of come up with our own our own board yeah yeah definitely and so I, and i think that and if you're it, the ducks that that should excite you yeah. because the ducks were notorious for falling back in well, the lottery they i mean they could still get a good player and here's the thing as a ducks fan and this is kind of what i've tried to say a bunch this season but finishing second is perfect honestly because they're going to last second yeah second best odds because as for the ducks now I mean, it. I think the best percentage chance. So uh, let me bring it up real quick. But Tankathon has the percentage odds of essentially what position uh, you can end up in. So the Ducks have a thirteen and a half chance of first overall, thirteen percent chance of second overall, twenty nine percent chance of third, and forty four and a half percent chance of finishing fourth. And so that's due to the fact that there's two lotteries. So it's more likely, uh, or most likely, that essentially a team from below or from below the ducks would win both lotteries. And so the thing is for the ducks, that's good is that you're going to have a pick of one first, second, third, or fourth. And as we talked about that top four, that, that is kind of that tier. And honestly, most likely the guy that you and I have at the very bottom of that tier is going to go first overall. Yeah. And so if Owen power goes first overall. If you're sitting second, third, or fourth, you're going to get one of, uh, you're going to get one of Eklund, Beneers or Clark. So assuming, that, assuming that those are the three that, yeah, I mean, who knows there, this thing could go all over the place, but if, if we're trying to do a comparison of this draft to last, I would say that, that the top end of this draft, that top tier kind of is in line with essentially like the Raymond Holtz, uh, uh, Drysdale, that type of tier of player. Yeah, maybe a shade below, but I mean, not far off if at all. I mean, if you look at Eklund's production in the uh, SHL this year, it's better than where Raymond was at last year. Mm -hmm. So I think it's in that same thing as the second tier of the last draft. Yeah. So that that's kind of that. So let's get into one more question from Twitter and then we will uh, get into uh, Twitch. So Twitch, we are coming to you shortly. This comes from William Lewis said question for the pod. This draft class isn't getting a huge amount of hype. Should Bob Murray be targeting 2022 first round picks rather than 21? Uh, oh, whoops. This was an old question. I am whoops. My bad there. That's actually not one that I should be looking at. My bad. Uh, this is the one I meant. Um, uh, Sorry, this comes from Ethan McGarvey said, uh, I want to pose this question. Are the Ducks saving the uh, the okay uh, or the old school eggplant and Jay jerseys from when the team is actually competitive again? Sorry, what was the question? Do you think the Ducks are saving the eggplant and Jade jerseys for when the Ducks are actually competitive again? Nah, I, I, I don't think there's any plan there. Yep, I agree completely. So 
For those of you watching this uh, uh, on YouTube, yes, we're on YouTube. Find us at youtube.com slash crash the pond or on your favorite podcast services. Uh, we do a live stream of the show each and every time at twitch.tv slash crash the pond where you can tune in live, interact with us in the chat and support the show. If you have Amazon Prime, you have one free Twitch Prime sub each and every month. You do have to hit that subscribe button after 30 days and it does help out more than you can imagine. Uh, you can do it just like Ginger Wolf did who resubbed for 13 months. You nice. get special emotes in the chat, special badges next to your name and it does help support this show a lot. So, DB Lowry has this question says, what resources would you recommend to start learning about advanced slash fancy stats? I want to try and move beyond the eye test, but all the charts and numbers are pretty intimidating. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I know, I know that he would be saying this who is here, but I think CJ has done a couple of articles like advanced stats primers. So I want to, I want to give him the plug there. And I think that, I think it's over at Anaheim calling if you search it, but if you just go even to like, Evolving Hockey, evolving slash hockey.com's website. They Go to have, their, gloss, their glossary is really yeah, good. If you just, because that's what I've that's what I've done in the, I mean, over time is if you just go to the glossary and you can, and like the first, the first step is just general terms, just kind of get it, getting everything in order. And then you can read about how they, you know, create their models, how, you know, how the tables work. I think just familiarizing yourself with the language and how the charts are achieved. I think that all of that is helpful. Um, but there's there's a ton of resources out there. And honestly, like we can probably even shoot you like links to articles and different things like yeah, that. Yeah, and there's a really good one. I think it was by Char- Charlie O'Connor at The Athletic way back in the early oh, days of The yeah. Athletic that is almost like a, a, a uh, advanced analytics or advanced stats 101. That is probably the one that I always go to if people ask me for an article because I think it does a really good job of summarizing everything. And honestly, as we start getting into the off-season again, again, we could honestly just do an episode. We've done it once in the past where we kind of dove into all the numbers, tried to do our best to explain it because I I think there is something to reading and there's something to actually hearing it with someone who can explain it well. And so I I think we can probably do that over summer at some point if you would want that. So let us know if that's something you have appetite for. As we hit the summer, it becomes a little bit more uh, like we're searching for topics. So if that's something you want to hear, we can definitely do that. Um, By the way, I forgot to ask this question. This came from Joe on Twitter. Top three favorite sitcoms. (laughs) So I feel like I haven't seen enough shows to to really weigh in on this damn um hold on so sitcom i'm like i just googled sitcoms yeah i don't know i mean what are we defining as a sitcom this is how clueless i am let's just go with a network television show oh i don't know i'm okay well i see arrested development is on the list of sitcoms when i just type it into google does that count sure i mean love that show so there you go so i'm gonna do how i met your mother the last season taking that out one of my favorite shows scrubs and I'm going to go with 30 Rock. Okay. So there you go, folks. Yeah. Um, I have no opinion on that. Yeah. Uh, there, there was, sorry, I'm trying to scroll up because there were some questions earlier that I did want to get to. One was from the Hardcore Luchador. Asked us, Gibson carried the team for the first month of the season, saw how it was going, and simply gave up and phoned in. Do you guys agree with this take? See, that narrative could be true, but we just have no way of knowing that. Like, I think that's the problem with a lot of the narrative around Gibson is there's a lot of, well, you know, he's not motivated, the the team is bad, and it's like, I don't necessarily, we don't, we have no way of knowing that. Like, it's just unknowable. And so the, I just, again, could be true, but it's, it's not really provable. Um, so I have to kind of stick with just judging the, uh, 
the performance. And like, maybe there is a touch of that, but even if he was unmotivated, I still don't think that that should make John Gibson all of a sudden this like awful goaltender. And so it, it can't, that can't just be it. Right. Um, even if it were true. Yeah. Um, by the way, real quick, sorry, I'm scrolling through the, the chat right now. Corey Prom yeah. had Gunther number one overall. Next question. I was teeing you up for something, seeing if you would take the bait. Next uh, question. <laughs> Ginger Wolf says, uh, what team will you guys cover when this is who is protected? Delorier, Grant, Steele, Rowney, Larson, Manson, <laughs> Lindholm, Shattenkirk. No way it's <laughs> happening. Uh, so sticking with the Ducks. Uh, who would you sign or would you sign Tom Wilson in Anaheim? Uh, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of the antics. I'm not going to lie. Not a huge fan of it. But he is a good he is a good player. Um I would it's tough to say. I don't I don't want to get involved in this debate and I also just honestly don't have a huge opinion on it. But I would probably err towards no. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh Lewis X2 you, you dodged it by the way. I'm very good at dodging questions I don't want to answer. <laughs> well, I know your answer is no. So yeah, my answer is no. I'll, I'll uh, you there. Lewis X209 says favorite barbecue side dish. Uh, you like, 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 a, like legit, like barbecue. Like, like if you're going to get like, barbecue, what, like, what's like your like favorite cuisine? Not like at a barbecue. Yeah. Well, okay. I've been to Nashville and there's just nothing wrong with mac and cheese. There's just nothing Damn wrong it. with it. It's elite. Damn it's it. Elite. Why, why did you have to take mine? I mean, so, this is, this is the, this is the catch 22 of you trying to put me on the spot. Is that mac and cheese I'll, is the correct answer, but sometimes the, I'll steal your answer. The, the other correct answer would be cornbread. Cornbread is not good. Sorry. Sorry. What? It's just whatever. It's just, it gets so much hype for nothing. It's just, it's just bread. It's just bread. It's fine. Oh. <laughs> Did I just oh. gain a new wave of enemies? <laughs> yeah, like, you just find ways with like random food things that should not be controversial to make a very controversial take, like pie. Another one? No, I've never. To- I didn't say I don't like pie. I just said I I'm, I don't like fruit pie, like you know apple, that those kind of things. <laughs> so basically, most pies. Okay, the thing with cornbread. Okay, it's not actually bad. I just it just does nothing for me. It does absolutely nothing for me. <laughs> uh, fre- honey badger says fresh cornbread bread with honey and butter is so good. He's right. Every the chat's after you now. Um, M young said, I know this is way in advance and don't know what your knowledge, uh, on this is, but what's your ranking? What's your ranking for these next three generational talent, right? Bedard and Michkov. I love that. This is the theme now. Just here. Here's a question that you might not be prepared for, but answer it anyway. Um, okay. Well, I'm just going to go off of like viral clips that I've seen. Supposedly Bedard is going to be the best Shane, right? Shane, right. Everyone's saying is basically not going to be like McDavid level. Good, but definitely very, very, yeah. I'm going Bedard, maybe Michkov just to support the Russian, but I'll go, I'll go Bedard. Yeah. Um, Chris Kindred asks how much of scratching, uh, how much of the scratching of Terry Henrique and Heinen was a Bob Murray move more than Aikens. These players were all on the trade block at points during the season. And do you believe Murray is meddling in lineup decisions? I mean, it's just, again, it's one of these things. It's I'm impossible. just, I'm just it's throwing a, you questions. I'm, seeing I'm, answer. I'm getting mad because of like, I can't really answer these. I mean, I do think that even if it's not a direct Murray is telling Aikens to do this, like by virtue of signing guys to contracts, there is a message there. And so, yeah, I think that that's 
that happens in every team. GMs do have voices in that to some degree. Um, but I'm not giving Aikens that out fully because it that just we haven't we don't know. Yeah. And just a rush guy asked question. If Aikens does get the axe, who do you slot in? John Tortorella. Oh God, no. Available. No, I'm kidding. Totally kidding. I no, hope like takes that actually, please if, do not take that seriously. If, if Dallas Aikens is fired and Bob Murray is still the GM, I can it, see it. It could be Torts. They need a tough love guy in there. Well, okay. The thing with Tortorella is that he, I just don't really enjoy his brand. His kind of like, you know, the public just torching just, of players. Just, yeah. Like the way that he handles players, the way that he goes about it publicly. Like I, I don't really enjoy that. I'm not going to lie to you. But there is something to be said that he does seem to make teams better, at least in the short term. Like he does increase their floor, it seems. Um, and so I will give him that credit. And I think he's a better coach at the NHL level than Aikens. But I just I can't really stand the way he tends to go about things. So do you, do you think that Rick Tockett should be in the running because he was just they just agreed to part ways? I just don't understand. What is the what is the talk at hype built on? Like what, what what has he actually done? Um, I don't. I mean, I I don't agree with it. I'm just purely uh, purely looking. You're just trying to get a rise out of me. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Now I'm I'm out on the talk thing too. I mean, that was part of the reason why I've always been kind of down on the Coyotes is because that was part of the hype hype train, and it's just there's just nothing there to really support it. Yeah. Um. And I mean the the coaches that they should be looking at. Are Boudreaux and Gallant? Yeah, but they're not gonna. They're not gonna. First off, they're not gonna bring back Boudreaux for a second um, time around. Um, uh, if Bob Murray's there, no. And thirdly, I don't. I'm not confident that they'll like be willing to pay that kind of coach salary because those guys are some to be some of the higher earning coaches, and you know, like in the three million dollar well, range, probably. Depend depends on kind of what they're looking for and what's out on the market right now. There's not exactly a whole bunch of vacancies right now. There's going to be a lot more vacancies, I think, you this think? summer. Well, I mean, we just had two pop up. I think, like, no one knows what's going to happen with the Canadians' coaching job. Well, but, but here's the thing: are those two teams that are willing to pay? The are you talking the, about Arizona and Columbus? Exactly. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, probably not. I mean, look definitely. at look at what we know about the Coyotes franchise. Well, the thing is with the Coyotes, I don't think Gallant and Boudreaux would go to those teams because they don't seem to be gearing up to be winners. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, but the Blue Jackets do have kind of an interesting roster. Um, I mean, they there's pieces there at least, and so maybe that that draws some interest. I don't know. I mean. We'll see, but are we, are we, what is even the question anymore? I feel like we're just completely at sea here. Basically who would get, if Akins gets axed, who's the guy that comes in? Who's the guy that comes in? Well, to be honest with you, I haven't made my list of like who would be next after Akins. And I probably should have a list. I should have a couple names ready for you, but I don't, I'm sorry. Yeah, oh. now you're just now you're just googling NHL coach names just to I mean, make me look bad. There's no way late, that Kev, late, there, there's late. no way that Kevin Deneen would be the guy either. The it, no. if they if they fire Akins, they're not going to go back to the well, well of bringing up their Lane, NHL Lane guy. Lambert is a guy that whose name has been brought up a lot and whose it his name is being and, brought up again. And I think maybe this time around, I know that the Ducks were looking at him last time. Maybe this time you actually pull the trigger. Cause I mean, because he, he does at least bring you some defensive acumen. Uh, yeah. So there's there's him. There's also, I mean, who knows what's going to happen with Travis Green? Yeah, that's I a good point. I, and, I don't. And, and you know I, that him and the Ducks did talk. 
And I don't know if I would necessarily want Travis Green. I, I think that he his numbers in Vancouver were not actually that great. Well, the um, roster is also true. I mean, um, so t- t- let's see. Uh, DB Lowry asks, uh, coolest goalie setup this year? Among the Ducks? Yeah. Uh, let's just go among the Ducks and um, in the league. Okay. Um, among the Ducks, I think it's got to be John Gibson with the uh, reverse retros. Yes. Just purely based on, purely on the mask. Like the mask alone wins it. I think Stolarz had a good look too. And then the best look in the NHL is easily Carey Price with the bringing back the Patrick Waugh mask and like the same layout of pads and everything. I and just the, set you the, up. I teed tan you up for palm. that. You did. And I, and I don't think you actually saw it coming. No, I did not. You, you're did mad not. at yourself. I am. I am. You, and you um, don't have a response, which is classic. I don't because Dodging. I... Yeah, exactly. Uh, Louis call, calling you a homer, by the way. Uh, AMC NLB asks, who do you have for the Ducks GM if they fire Bob Murray? Ooh, that is a tough one. Because, again, like with the pool of GMs, GMs are not quite like coaches where there's a lot of re- there's a ton of retreads. And so I don't necessarily know, again, to be honest with you, Eric, what direction Eric, they would go in. Eric Tolsky or Mike Gillis? Well, yeah, those are names that I that we tend to bring up every time, but I don't know, like, yeah, who knows? Yeah, I don't know what their status is, but I Mike mean, Gillis, I mean, one hundred percent, if he's available, if he's willing, if the Ducks are willing to pay, that I is mean, a guy I would be very. The Samuels have hired one general manager. Yeah, they and, hired, and and they didn't even really hire him; they kind of just promoted him from. No, 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 they hired Brian Burke. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, because they just promoted Bob Murray once Brian Burke left. It's not as if they went out and hired so. Yeah. Um, John Chaka. No. 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 Well, he can't even. He's like suspended for multiple yeah. years. To, like, he can't come back to the NHL for a couple years. Uh, Chris Kindred. So let's hit two more questions. Chris Kindred asked us uh, Are you supporting the tank in 2022 for Shane Wright? Um, yeah. I think overall, yes. I think. I don't know. I, I think that this Ducks, Ducks team, I'm going to talk myself into just like I did last this year. You season. are. I think we've done it the last two years, actually. We have. But maybe at some point it will. I, I don't think this Ducks team is going to be as bad next year, though. I well, really okay, don't. Here's my issue with that statement, is that this roster has a good well, chance yeah. of being almost the same. Here, here's the thing. If move, if the proper moves are made, this they team won't be. should... They won't be. Just yeah, like assume they won't be. Fair. Fair. <laughs> well, also, right. what is the move? Like, look at their cap sheet. Look like they're going to have almost the same roster Well, because Comtois is going to get paid. And the thing is, if they trade Raquel and Manson... That's not going to make next year's roster better. True. In, in uh, Manson might. Manson might. True. But in theory, like you're doing that for futures if you're doing it. True. Although we don't know what Bob Murray will do. Yeah. Like um, he will not do that. So let's end with this one. Just a rush guy. Do you expose Josh Manson to expansion? Yeah. 100%. You and I would. There's n- here's 100%. the thing. I would there's expose no- Fowler. Yeah. There's no way that well you expose Fowler because it's essentially adding a protection slot. But yeah. um. You the the reason why they're not going to expose Manson. Honestly, I wouldn't expose Manson. Here's my reasoning there. Because you want to trade him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like Josh Manson. Josh Manson has lower trade value than Hayden Flurry does. Or sorry, Josh Manson has higher trade value than Hayden Flurry does. He has higher trade value than Josh Mahura does. And it's not as if Mahura or Hayden Flurry are going to be these game breaking talents for the Ducks. And so I'd rather keep uh, Josh Manson and then just trade him uh, after the afterwards to be able to recuperate uh futures and the other thing is the ducks would not expose him 
if they or they would have traded him if they were planning to expose him. Yeah, I mean, and not to get off the expansion topic, but I do want to just say, you know, because I'm seeing some chatter about the tank in, in our chat, is that like the Ducks didn't try to tank this year either. No, they, they tried to be good. Like the they du- went out, they went we, out and signed veterans. Do we forget that Kevin Chidenkirk said that Bob Murray uh, agreed that it's time for this team to take the step? Yeah, exactly. So like they didn't try to be bad and I don't think they're ever going to try to be bad um, or, or they're never going to like, you know, kind of gear their roster towards the I future. Mean, like I said, Bob Murray has not moved out a player that he likes. Exactly. And Here, until until that happens, it's going to be tough let, for this team to move forward. Let me ask you this. What's more likely this offseason? A Josh Manson trade or a Josh Manson extension? Oh, Oh no! Oh no! I am really I'm, hurting. I'm here. on. I'm on the chaotic evil fi- side right now. What is the chaotic evil side? That he gets? No, extended? I'm just. I'm just saying. Asking that question is chaotic. It, evil. Oh well, yeah. I think he gets extended, or no? I I think that that's more likely than him getting traded, based on everything we know about Bob Murray, based on everything that he's done or not done. Maybe more importantly, I think it's a likelier that there's an extension. But yeah, that doesn't I, mean. But that doesn't mean that the trade won't happen. It just seems yeah. like it, it's more believable to me that that Bob Murray will extend Josh Manson, which again is just completely wrong. Like is not what they should do. But I could see him doing it. Real quick, I also want to calm down the narrative of Josh Mahara becoming the next Shea Theodore. Josh Mahara is a good player, but he won't become Shea Theodore. Well, he the, hasn't. Like, he he hasn't shown. You know, I think because the thing with Shea Theodore is that he was outstanding in the AHL. And Mahur has been good in the AHL, but I don't think he's been to that same level. Um, and in the NHL, I mean, Theodore, even though Theodore did have rough patches in Anaheim, he still, I think, showed more potential than Mahura. Yeah. So. And all right, let's end with this question. Actually, the last question. Time Twitch <laughs> asks us, have we seen the last game for Getzloff as a duck? I don't think so. I think he comes back. Um, agreed. Whether it's one or two years, I think he's agreed. back. Agreed. 100% agreed. So... Anything else you want to add? Um, I just want to say a big thank you to everybody. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody who's been listening, whether you're a... Oh, and I hear Salem. Just say Salem was meowing a little bit. Salem, she's agreeing with you. Cat. She's agreeing with you. Yeah, she's thanking everybody. She's she's joining the chorus. No, but yes. seriously, thanks, guys. For, if you've been sticking around since the beginning of this show or if you've joined on this season or, or during the, the COVID break, you know, the last year... Mm-hmm. It's been a like the the last I mean the last calendar year you know from May 9, twenty twenty to now has been a, a wild ride with no ducks and I then mean, a season and then a season that went completely awry for the ducks like March so, of, March of last year was when you and I left Anaheim calling to start crash the pond exactly so for everybody that stuck around or that's that's come on in the last year um, welcome we we appreciate you guys you guys make this fun you guys make this mm-hmm. awesome. And we're just excited to to keep it going. It's going to be a fun summer. We've got the expansion draft and the draft. Uh, there's going to be free agency, so there's not going to be a whole lot of, of downtime here. It's going to be right right picking up where we left off. Yeah, yeah. And I, I said it yesterday on on Twitter that like a big big thank you to all of you and all of you supporting us. I mean, I think the the amount of support that we get not only through Twitch, through Twitter, through our Patreon, through our Discord on Patreon, through everything there, like. The amount of support that we get, it, it's truly mind-boggling to me at times, the the amount of people that really kind of enjoy the, this little show that, that you and I do. And at the end of the day, we do it because 
like the reason we started doing this is because it's fun. And so yeah, we're, well, we're, we, we, we just love hockey and we love talking about hockey and we love all the, the nitty gritty of it. And so if people are enjoying that along with us, then all the better. Yep. And so we, we really, really do appreciate everyone that's jumped into the Twitch chat, everyone that's jumped and mentioned us on Twitter, everything like that. But having kind of said all that, there's plenty to come. Don't, don't expect this as a goodbye. We're still, we will be back yet again next Sunday. We're going to have plenty of good content for you as we go in. I mean, it's funny because with how bad the ducks have been the last couple of seasons, the, the ducks, like the information, the, the fun time to follow the team. It's almost as if once the season's over is when the real fun begins. Yeah. Because then we get the, the draft lottery. Then we get the draft. Well, also we don't have to talk about like, why is Derek Grant getting yeah. the most minutes at five it, on it's, five? It's basically the most fun is the start of the season. <laughs> it is the trade deadline and it's all the time leading up to the draft. Well, yeah. And, and even the draft, like last, last draft we did, you know, and actually both, the last two drafts we've done like a live stream. So if you're someone who's been following us on Twitch, like you, you get a, like a three hour stream basically of us reacting. And so like this off season is going to be packed. Like yeah, two drafts and both we impactful. Should, we should mention this. The goals are going to be playing also still. And Z, we haven't even mentioned that. Zegas <laughs> Drysdale and Mahura were all sent down. The goals play three games this week, and then there's the AHL playoffs starting. And so there's going to be a lot to talk about, a lot to well, cover. Well, they're not the AHL playoffs. They're the sorry, the Pacific, Pacific Division, Division playoffs. Tournament. Yeah, something like that. Well, yeah. So Zegers, Drysdale, and uh, Mahura. So yeah, they're the, the goals play twice this week. So I'm going to be watching those games. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think you and I are both going to be watching a little bit more uh, actual game film of all the draft eligible players. To, to have a little bit of a better feel on those guys. So we'll have a little bit more information there. Yeah. So on that note, I think we're going to, I think we're going to get out of here. So if you want to support the show, if you want to, if you've been enjoying what we've been doing here this season, there are a few ways to do that, to support us. The biggest way is at patreon.com. That's at patreon.com slash crash the pond for a dollar a month. Uh, you get access to our patrons only discord chat, which is so much fun it's really become its own little community in the, in the last year, I would say, of just diehard Ducks fans, uh, hockey fans. So just go check it out. Um, and then for $5 a month, you still get access to that chat. You also get two bonus episodes a month. We go more in-depth on the Ducks, more in-depth on the league. Um, and we will discuss whatever topics the patrons want us to talk about within that, that chat. And then for $15 a month, this is a big jump, but I think it's worth it. During the season, we do two live streams a month, two watch-alongs of... Uh, live Ducks game. So we basically give you like an alternative uh, commentary feed. And during the off season, not 100% sure yet what we'll do for that tier. We might do like older Ducks games. Maybe we'll do AHL well, games. Who knows? The current plan for, for the, because we've already done the first watch along of the month. The second one of the month, what we're, we're going to be doing is we're going to do a playoff game of uh, patrons choosings. Yeah. And one thing I do want to mention on that tier is that once you get access to that tier, you can actually go back and rewatch any of the watch alongs that we've done. And so that will typically have a date and you can click on the link and watch that watch along if you want to go back and watch it. So there is kind of stuff for you to go back and watch at the watch along tier if you want to subscribe at that tier. Yeah. So that's all at patreon.com slash crash the pond. Now, if you're not on Patreon or if, you know, funds are tight or whatever the case may be, it's totally fine. Uh, just search for us on Apple Podcasts. You can leave us a rating and a review there. And if you leave us a review, we will 100% read it 
on the show. Um, we're also on YouTube. Make sure to subscribe there if you want to see the video version of this. If you want to see all the charts that Jake is throwing into the Twitch stream. Or see my bright shirt. Or see Jake's bright shirts or see Salem the Black Cat or just whatever else. Whatever else works who, its way into the feed. Who knows what's going to pop up on my camera? <laughs> yeah, you know, maybe over the maybe over the off season, that'll be what I'll work on is to 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 spice up my my video feed. We'll see. Yeah, work up like work on your wardrobe, Felix. Work. On you know, your I, I'll you know, like today I'm not wearing a gray shirt. It's not gray this time. <laughs> wow, that's, that's wow. a big that's a big step forward. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, outside of that, goodness, I'm losing my train of thought. Uh, check out our website, crashthepond.com. Uh, that's where we'll actually post some takeaways. This week from the season, um, we're going to be posting content there, just th- you know, written content throughout the, the off season. It's also where you can find uh, previous shows. Find us on social media. That's at Crash the Pond on Twitter, Crash the Pond on Facebook. Jake is on Twitter at Reindeer Games 91, and I am on Twitter at Felix underscore Sicard. So that will do it for us tonight, guys. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sticking with us during this yes. crazy season. And we'll talk to you next week. Have a good one. Bye.